Hey, Kayana here. So, I've got some really good news for you. You can now go to the site of musicandmen.com and be among the first to get the novella for Episode 2 by pre-ordering before its official release date. Now, due to the recent, of course, pandemic, the traditional way of doing things has just gone completely out of the window. I know that entertainment is not an essential product, but... I want to make sure that anyone who wants access to my art can get it, whether you can return the favor by paying for it or not. So I'm making it super easy to get the digital version of episode two, the novella series, called Nothing But a Number. If you can't afford to give $1 or more, great. Just click the Give What You Can button. But if you still want to read this book, but cannot support me right now, you know what? That's quite all right. Just click the Read Now, Give Later button. As I mentioned in the last few episodes of the podcast, as an artistic entrepreneur, the upending of everything around us has altered the normal way of going about doing things, but I am certainly not complaining. Financial struggles aside, I've personally welcomed this as an opportunity to focus on gratitude and completely readjusting what's considered normal. Anyway, here's another recent conversation about the Of Music and Men project. Like the last two podcast episodes, this one is a two-parter. Now, my people on Patreon... They've already gotten this full interview and they received it in full video format. But for my regular podcast listeners like you, the audio only will be broken up into two parts. You'll get the second part next week. Anyway, thank you for listening. Don't forget to go to amusicandmen.com. You don't have to do it now, but you can do it after you finish listening and learn more about the episode number two of the novella series. Nothing but a number. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's very special event. We're going to be interviewing Kayana Ebony Brown, the author of the Of Music and Men series. Um, if you guys would like to ask her questions, please feel free to hit that question box. It is on the bottom of your screen. It has a quotation mark with a question mark inside of it. So it's very easy to figure out what that is. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and invite Kayana onto the screen so that we can start our Q&A session now. Hey, there she is. <laughs> Hey, how's it hello, going? Hello, hello, <laughs> and welcome. Thank you for giving us your of course. time. Um, really quickly, could you let our viewers or listeners know a little bit about yourself? I didn't prepare for that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am a storyteller from Washington, D.C., and I write about existential stuff most of the time, but it's usually real life uh, situations that can really help people as they're becoming more who they're going to be. That's probably the best way of saying it. Fantastic. It's true. A lot of our characters are 
asking all of the right questions <laughs> that some of us in real life try to avoid ask, asking and answering. Mm, answering, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of asking and answering the real questions, uh, when did you first realize that you wanted to be a writer? What was the, was it a aha moment or was it something that happened gradually over time? You know, I actually wish that I had a nice packaged, cute little story about some kid who knew something long before other kids knew stuff, but I really don't. It's it's sort of like you ever watch a baby and they progress through what they're going to do. They, they get on the floor and they wallow around and then they crawl and then they walk. And then next thing you know, they're running. The next thing you know, they're driving. It's just, you know, well, babies don't drive, but, you know, as we tend to get older, we just do seemingly what's natural for us to do. And I think that's sort of how my writing, I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, actually, like, when did I start doing this? And I think it was more so that. Um, it's, it just was a natural thing that I found myself doing, and I loved it, and I just kept doing it. So it wasn't a, a set aha moment that I can remember uh, actually saying, you know what, when it's all said and done, I want to be a writer. <laughs> It's um, and, I, and, you know, I actually think that artists of all kind, that's just what art is. It's it really it's a hard word to even find in most culture. There is really a definition for art, just that there's really no definition for love. It's just sort of an mm. isness that we kind of just have as part of our human experience. And everyone is an artist um, when they're born. And we sort of few of us actually are allowed to keep being artists as they get older. So I guess a, probably a, a more succinct way of saying that is just, I'm just being. And there was no time in life that I decided to be. It just, it just is, um, just is a writer. So I <laughs> just am a writer or whatever. So, yeah. I feel that I, I completely empathize with that story because I too did not, it wasn't clear cut for me as a, right. a career choice. And I just, Realize just did you at it. <laughs> just, <laughs> just do you just do what you do so i just did what i did and and that's how yeah. i ended up here um speaking of ended up here you are about to release the second episode of your of music and men novella episodes mm -hmm. so with that being said how long did it take you to write this series and what was the experience like from going from going from uh, part one to episode two to episode three to episode four? Like, what was that, right, what was right. that process like? And so, you know, some backstory. So I could tell why you were like with that question, because it's, this is this is sort of a I'm going to say odd, because as a writer and I write uh, quite a few different forms form in different formats. And there's some I love and I do that the most. And then there's some that, you know, sometimes as like a, as an artist, some certain things you have to do that you don't necessarily love, but you just, you know, you kind of have to do it. <laughs> you, you do it. Um, you know, like journalism for me is a, is a little too on the nose, you know, mm -hmm. the who, what, when, where, why, how, and it's like oh, no, yeah. really not much flexibility for it. I have done it. I try not, if I can help it, to do it much. <laughs> but to answer your question, <laughs> to answer your question, um, this this whole series, this whole story was sort of done backward. And what I mean by that is most of the time, um, normal people, 
usually will write a book or a comic book or a graphic novel and or some other long form IP, intellectual property. And then at some point in the future after that thing has become great, and sometimes even when it hasn't become great, I, I know of a story where it's like an unknown author of a book was just uh, optioned for a movie. But normally that's the process. It's usually a longer form, uh, like a novel or comic book, that then much later someone else comes a- along and options it or asks if they can have permission to um, make that into a screenplay to then make that into a movie. And sometimes the original writer doesn't have much to do with that, that, uh, that process, that transition. But for this, I had, I've always been writing ever since I was little, but I've, we don't always have one dream. And one of my, one of my other dreams that wraps around this dream is to have a multimedia conglomerate. Like I look at Oprah and I look at, um, quite a few people, but she's probably the one that most people will know the most. And I'm like, she has this company that just does all this different stuff. And so a few years ago, after I published my first book, I thought about that multimedia company. And I said, you know what, I want to run, you know, music has always been very important. My first job um, in high school was a DJ, like I was a DJ and I was like, I want to run a record company. Like I'm DJing and I'm playing the music, but I want music. I want to be a part of helping art musicians get from making their music to getting it out to the world. But for some reason, I decided that I was going to um, start a record company. I didn't just start it out of nowhere. A friend of mine had music already and he needed help. So that was my chance. It was like, oh, you need help? I can just go ahead and start this my company. Dreams. And I said, right. <laughs> he sort of, he sort of honestly kind of gave me permission to really go ahead. Cause if I had started a record company without him, like who's going to sign up for this random girl, right. young girl at that, extremely young, you know, trying to do a record company. But because, you know, we were both two, you know, two young people and he wanted to do that. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to help you, I should probably look at the bigger picture of this help and not just me helping you with your music. Exactly. Long story short, that was an integral part of my learning and understanding entrepreneurship because it was a real company. It was like a real LLC. And I was instrumental in helping him get performances all around the world, all across Africa, all across Australia, um, all across Europe. Uh, he performed in Canada and of course, all across the States. I think South America and Antarctica might be the only uh, continents that he didn't perform on. Um, but anyway, saying all that to say <laughs> that that became the inspiration for this, for Of Music and Men. It's a young woman navigating the music industry as an burgeoning entrepreneur, but I needed a little bit more. So to spice it up, I was doing research on DC, young single woman. And I didn't realize at the time that DC has the highest number of same sex relationships, but the lowest straight marriage rate in the country. So I'm lit- I'm like a young straight a woman navigating <laughs> right, navigating the gayest technically the gayest city when you think about it in the in the country and then I'm like okay now I know why it's so hard. It's not just me. And every straight woman that I meet says the same thing. Oh, it's not just me. It's not just you. But um when I <laughs> with that story, it was after, you know, we were sort of not really dissolving our relationship as far as, cause we're still really close. That's, that's my boy. He's like my, my big brother, but uh, we weren't working together in the same dynamic um, mm. with the music company. 
And as a writer, again, having always written, I was like, you know what, this would, this whole experience, and I told him, I was like, this would make a really good TV show. (laughs) So I started developing the TV show part of this first, which was like 2013, I believe 2012, somewhere around there. And so um, did all the research. I'd written some spec scripts before. Spec scripts is when one of spec script is like if you're a writer, a screenwriter, you like Grey's Anatomy. So you write a version of Grey's Anatomy or you write a ver- your own version. You know the characters and what happens and you write a sample. So I'd written some spec scripts before just to learn how to write TV, but I'd never really developed my own TV show and you know, developed it and wrote that. So that was my opportunity to do it using that log line that I, log line is little synopsis that I just gave you, which was a young woman navigating um, the music industry as an entrepreneur, you know, struggling entrepreneur while also trying to date in the worst city. The more obstacles, the better. So long story short, (laughs) did all of the things to develop the TV show, wrote the Bible, did a multimedia pitch deck and like all of this just technical stuff to do a TV show. And I wrote the pilot and I had no idea what to do with it after that. I'm in DC. I'm not in LA, you know, and I had no idea what to do with it. And so naturally as a writer, I'm like, I'm not going to just sit around with what I know to be a good story and just sit there with it. So two things happened. Um, I started to enter that pilot script into contests because that's one way that a lot of screenwriters will get on. And by get on, I mean, you can get a manager, you can, um, you can win money, <laughs> you can win opportunities by entering screenwriting contests. And the second thing I did was co- finish writing the entire 12 episode first season. These are half an hour premium cables, what they call single camera. Single camera is when you don't hear the people laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's multicam. Single cam is, you know, when you something on HBO, Netflix type of thing where it's a it's a comedy half an hour, but you don't hear people laughing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so decided to write out the entire first season, all 12 episodes. So they were kind of outlined anyway through the show Bible. That's the document that you create that tells you what's going to happen in every episode. Every TV show has one. Um, and I had written one. So I took about 18 months, a good year, 18 months and polished that, that pilot, really polished the pilot, but, you know, wrote out those episodes um, for the first season. So again, it started out as a TV show first. And then again, like I said, this is 13, so 2013. So in trying to get to where I wanted to be. Uh, and knowing that this was a multimedia uh, series, meaning it, it would have different branches to it, TV, books, things like that, um, created a short film for it. Um, just an eight minute kind of sample piece, kind of experimental and entered that into a contest. And it actually won first place. And I won a nice little bit of money with the first place thing in a local contest that was looking for things that stories that kind of showcase DC in a different way, I believe was, was the mission for that contest, but it was a wonderful experience. That short film was experimental. And so I wasn't expecting to win because it was an experiment to me, to me anyway, as a filmmaker and it won first place in that thing. So I ended up entering it after that, polishing it some more and entering it to a bunch of festivals all around the world. And it got into like 16 of them. Again, that was kind of shocking to me because it was experimental. And and by experimental, I just mean, I mean, I'm going on and on. That was like the longest answer ever, but it's, it's such okay. a, it's, it's totally okay. <laughs> it's been like I'm a listening. long process. So um, 
by experimental, I mean, I didn't really even plan on, like, I didn't even shoot dialogue. It was supposed to be like a promo video, but we had, you know, I worked with some really great filmmakers, um, filmmaker friends of mine, and they just, we had such great shots, such great, like the story was already there from the pilot. I just kind of pulled some things from it. And so that promo thing that was like supposed to be 90 seconds was elongated into an eight minute uh, experimental piece that just sort of had, it was like a musical with no no sound, I mean, no uh, dialogue. But the sound was sort of the ambiance, like you could hear the traffic, you could hear uh, just things in the background. And I'll let you see that some other time. But um, <laughs> um, so anyway, that was entered in, into some festivals and got in. So it was and it won a few. It won an award for editing. It was my first time editing an entire piece. And it actually uh, was recognized and win. I think it was nominated for edit, best editing in one. So those kind of things, kind of, you know, help you to stay motivated. Mm-hmm. Not that you need that external motivation per se, if you just do what you love, but sometimes it can help yeah. um, when things look bleak and, you know, you're doing what you want to do, but it may not be where or how exactly you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So having all of those scripts, it was 2017 that I'm like kind of getting antsy again. It, 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 uh, the pilot script had gotten recognized in some really big script festivals by this point, like Screencraft. Um, the fellowship. Um, I'm remembering a few of them. It, it had gotten some recognition and some good ones. So I'm sitting on something that I feel in some parts of the world, some people that that are not my mom feel like <laughs> this is really good. So I'm like, okay, I have all these scripts. What can I do? This is not the kind of piece that I want to try to hodgepodge like I did the short film hodgepodge and kind of do it a disservice and put it on YouTube kind of thing with 30 viewers and, you know, kind of ruin it, to be honest with you. Sometimes yeah. patience, you know, we artists kind of jump into things a lot because we just want to do what we want to do. But sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, we have patience. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we're, you, we're a rushy bunch. And I know, I, look, I'm not trying to be uh, holier than thou. I'm certainly very impatient sometimes, but sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I can be like, you know what? I have a vision for this. And I can't move before, you know, the vision can be what I what I see it being. You know, other pieces have to come along. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, I took those scripts and I said, you know what? Your average person does not read a script. A script is a very technical yeah. thing. You know, most people don't even know what a script looks like. That's true. <laughs> and so what do they know what it looks like? They know what books look like. Most people, as you know, when they're two years old, they're reading books. So I decided to turn each of those TV show episodes into little booklets, little books of their own um, novellas. So I said, okay, this is a novella series. And in order to do it in a timely fashion, because you asked about time, I didn't forget your question. (laughs) To do it in a timely fashion, I put myself on a schedule that I was going to post these on my website once a month. And I was, and I had to stick to it because I was emailing people saying, Hey, episode one is up. Episode two is up. Episode three is up. So I had to stick to this schedule of, so these things had to be written and edited. I had a, someone introduced me to a young lady in Portland who was editing these things for me, you know, more more so like proofreading it and making sure it's like not completely sounding crazy. (laughs) And so I was doing this every month from April, 2007 to uh, eight, uh, April 2018 because it was a 12 episode piece and it's 12 uh, episodes of the of the show and every month like clockwork 
there was an episode on my website. They're not there now, but they were on my website then for people to read if they wanted to read it. And quite a few people, you know, it was a nice little bit of people. I mean, it was like 20 people. But to me, that's like a surprise when you're not really expecting anybody. Yeah. 20 um, is a great number. That's just jumping on and, you know, you can see them jumping on and downloading it to read it. So 18 comes along and I'm I'm remembering everything because this thing has, a, I have a timeline that's, that I actually have, a, a visual timeline in my pitch deck that shows what I did every year. This is for my future investors or producers who might want to know so I don't forget. So that's how I can remember all of this stuff verbatim, like what I did every year. Um, in 18, the, uh, I decided that I was going to publish. I'm going to move, go ahead and publish. Um, and the goal was to do all of them, but I started with the pilot and it was like so exhausting, like doing everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I almost forgot how exhausting it could be to it's publish so a book. Much. It's extremely it's so, so exhausting. Much. I think the, you did the process on your own. I was just about to say that. I think graphic the graphic design, yes. editing, literally to- on my own. Yes. Um, you know, not the editing, of course, you can't really edit your own stuff, but um, the pre-edit, I'll call it, because it mm-hmm. wasn't like a formal, like stringent edit, but the pre-edit was done by someone else. Um, but yeah, everything from the audiobook to the graphic design, like the book cover of that first book to the layout. Now, layout and stuff, I've been doing that for other reasons anyway, like using InDesign and Photoshop. I'm sort of a nerd. I have Adobe, like I love their stuff and, and I use it anyway. So it wasn't hard. That part wasn't hard, but it was just the process of doing it. Finding a printer, finding someone who can print on demand, they can meet everything. And I found a great company out of, I believe Utah or Colorado, somewhere over there. I can't rem- remember, but it's a great company. Uh, woman-owned company, which was great. And so, um, yeah, September 2018 had a launch party for it. Um, you know, a bunch of people came out and celebrated with me, which was wonderful for that first book. So anyway, as far as the process of doing this, actually writing this, generally speaking, I honestly, outside of um, writing the scripts, these things were sort of uh, outlined for me with the scripts. So I guess to answer that as far as the process of how long it takes to take the story and turn it into a novella form, it doesn't take very long because they're half an hour TV shows. They're not super long. They're only about now authors will know word count. Most people don't know word count. Your average novel, like a thick novel that you read might be about 90,000 words, Mm -hmm. Um, give or take, you know, Harry Potter, that's something totally different. That's some long stuff that's completely different. These are only about 15 to 20,000 words each. So they're much smaller, a fraction of the length of a regular novel. So they didn't take me, um, I I guess, to go along with that, it's probably a month, a little Mm -hmm. less than a month. Um, The biggest difference in that process for screenwriting, uh, between screenwriting and writing novella, a novella or something like that is, is that a novella is a tangible product. As I mentioned before, screenwriting, a, a screenplay is a technical piece of equipment, right. pretty much. It's a tool that is going to be used to do something else with. Mm-hmm. Almost like you don't move into your blueprint. Like when your architect has a blueprint to your house, you don't move into the blueprint. That's just a piece of paper. Someone yeah. has to build it. And that's how a script is. It's most screenwriters will hate this, but normally Greta Gerwig is one of my favorite screenwriters, <laughs> filmmakers. She would hate this because she wants the script to be something people actually, your average person actually uh, ingests. 
But the reality is it's sort of like a blueprint that you're going to take and make a film with, or you're going to take and make, you know what I mean? Make a TV show with. Um, But a book after I write it, you can actually physically read what I wrote. You're going to read what I wrote. I don't need an actor is not going to interpret it. A director is not going to tell you how you should see it or show you how you should see it or anything like that. A cinematographer is not going to have shots away from the character. You know, none of that's going to happen. What I wrote is what you're going to get as a, as a uh, novel writing uh, from a novel perspective. So the difference um, in answering that portion of the question is the showing versus the telling. Mm. When you're a novelist, you generally tell a story. Um, Some people do that more like Zadie Smith to me, one of the best at telling and putting you in that space of everything that's around. Um, but with a screenplay, everything is about the visual because it's going to be interpreted to a visual platform. So they're doing the showing in the writing. Again, very, very technical. You can get you can get creative, but for the most part, it's kind of a technical thing um, of showing you using the words versus telling. And an example of that would be. Um, uh, in a book, I can tell you that a character is sad. Like I can say, Kenya is sad. You know, she's she's sitting on her bed crying. That's the showing part. But the reason why she's sad is because she felt this way two weeks ago and someone said something. Like, I'm telling you all of this. Mm-hmm. But in a screenplay, I would actually have to show you that she's, I would have to write out, Kenya sits on the bed crying. I can't tell you that she's sad. The actor has right. to interpret that. Right. And she could be sitting on the bed crying for another reason. She'd be happy. But um, yeah, so it's it's very heavy on the showing in screenplay uh, writing, and it's very heavy on the telling and and description. Like a screenplay would usually doesn't have too much description, um, whereas in a novel, like again, using Zadie Smith, she describes the hell out of a story. So <laughs> I mean, out of a landscape or out of a room or whatever, mm-hmm. she does a great job of telling. So yeah, so that's probably the biggest difference. So about a month to write, and because I didn't forget your question but about a month to write and doing more showing or doing more telling in a novel versus the showing and screenplay writing. But I love jumping back and forth between the two. Um, that's been a very fun thing to do uh, with this whole process. Interesting. I, I was going to comment on uh, your analogy of the manuscript being a blueprint. That's pretty dope. I agree. <laughs> a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't even realize that a manuscript is what the story is before it's turned into the book form. So here's a tidbit, kiddos. <laughs> you guys are working on your book. You're actually working on your novel. Uh, your mm-hmm. novel's manuscript um, is not a book until it's printed, binded, all of that. So Yeah. But yeah, but the thing is, they'll, they'll actually get your words. Mm-hmm. And I think just my point is with the screenplay, they I mean, they're going to get the, the dialogue and all that. But the description and things like that that you write or the action that you write in a screenplay, right. they don't get the words like the, the audience doesn't read those words. That's up to the director and the cinematographer and the actors to pull off in some way. And hopefully they do it successfully. As a writer, you hope that they do it successfully as a writer director you kind of have a little bit more control over if they do it successfully. But normally, um, most of the time, the writer is not the director. So they have to do a good job of making this, making sure that technical piece is saying what they want to say in some way so that the director um, has that kind of, and the actors and cinematographers and lighter, lighting people and all that kind of stuff. I'm 
trying to use layman term. <laughs> um, so the writers, they have, when they, um, <clears throat> sorry to cut you off, when, right, when, when sort of like film adaptations of mm -hmm. books, right? Okay. Do writers have any say as to the direction of it? It depends. It depends. Um, I want to say most of the time, no, because once they've, you know, if I'm just, let's say I, all I want to be is a novelist. That's what I am. I'm fine with that. Stephen King, someone like that. He writes a book. They option his book. Um, he signs some kind of deal and, and then sort of it's out of his hands. That's sort of what the inspiration, part of the inspiration for this was years ago, my mom used to watch a, a little show. I'm sure no one's heard of it. It's called Sex in the City. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, <I'm mad>. <laughs> but but the thing is my mother used to watch that show religiously and I was just like you know like why are you watching this it's like these women all they do is talk blah 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 and then it was just like I started watching it you know what I mean you get older and you you start watching I'm like this yeah. is actually really freaking good like I was like that was my show like even every year I watched that show pretty much from beginnings, all seasons, at least once every year now. Mm -hmm. That has probably been one of the biggest inspirations for this because Candace Bushnell, the lady who created Sex in the City, was a journalist for a newspaper called the New York Observer. Mm -hmm. And she had a column and the column was called Sex in the City. And she was just right, it was a column, so it wasn't super long. She was just writing about her, her and her friends' experiences dating in New York, in the city, the, the only city in the world that you could say, this, yeah, I live in the city and everyone knows what you're talking about. Right. But she was writing um, a column about that. And someone was like, you know, you should write a, this should be a book. And so she wrote the book. But then after that process, that HBO TV show, she didn't have very much to do with that. Mm -hmm. And we would, you would think, you know, once it became HBO, but no, those were like completely different people that were taking, they were taking her stories from her column and from her book and they were turning it in. She wasn't even a part of really, if I remember her saying, cause I watched a bunch of interviews with her. I remember her saying that she wasn't very much, if at all, part of the writing process, let alone the casting and all. You would think you wrote it. You might want to be in the room when they're casting these people as your friends to make sure they look like them or feel like them. No. Once she signed over the rights to Sex in the City, then it became the filmmakers and HBO's job and their just everything HBO wanted to do to turn that into the success that it ended up becoming. So, yeah. And then, of course, it became movies. Then it became spinoff books where she was doing Carrie as a young person and all of this. But, yeah, outside of her books, like her books, those were her responsibility. Everything else was someone else. Um, and that's usually, usually how it goes. Now, again, with indies, with people who are independent and doing things like me. And when I mentioned that thing about patience before, sometimes we get what we ask for, even when we don't realize what we ask for, if that makes sense. So Absolutely. early in this process, I was like, you know, I do love Oprah and, and I love, you know, a bunch of other people. And I want to do this independently. This is like before I even started writing this, my whole, I told you about that multimedia conglomerate thing. That dream that I used to map out on vision boards and all that was to do everything independently. And then when I started doing things independently, <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> like super hard and super taking a long freaking time. You know what I mean? But I'm sort of, you know, if I can admit it, like swallow my pride to admit it, I'm, it's sort of happening the way I initially said I wanted it to. 
um, where I am having, you know, more creative control over each and every part of the process of telling not only this story, but eventually other stories, even though I was submitting to contests and doing all these other things that could have taken me off that path. Uh, I have some other stories that where I could have, I told you about the Weinstein story mm-hmm. that could have taken me off the path. It's nothing bad people. It's not, I, it didn't, it could have been, but it, it was <laughs> but, uh, and I'll, I'll probably tell it later. But my point in that story is that it, it I was applying to do something that could have been very industry and got very close with that. And then it didn't, you know, then the whole Weinstein thing happened in 2017 where, you know, he, he and other people started to come down, started to be brought down and I didn't get the opportunity to go further with that. So it seems like every time something like that does happen, you know, I'm given enough information by the universe to say, look, your writing is, is good. People do like it, you know, but, as soon as I'm about to get industried, <laughs> something ends up happening <laughs> where it just doesn't happen the way that, you know, that I'm simply trying to make it happen at that time. But it's all good. That's true. <laughs> so as you can hear, we are really enjoying this conversation, but I'm going to have to cut it off right here. Cut it short for you, because next week I'll share with you the other part. So tune in next week for the continuation of what was a Crowdcast interview conducted in late March. Again, we'll have more coming up in the following weeks, what's happening and where it's going with this project, because there are some really, really exciting things coming up and how you can be a part of it. Yes, you can be an integral part of everything moving forward. And don't forget to go to ofmusicandmen.com right now. You're finished. You can go right now for info on how you can get your copy of Novella Episode 2 for any amount you want or can give. Patrons, of course, get it automatically as part of their patronage. Go to patreon.com slash ofmusicandmen to learn more about how you can become part of our team. To learn more about the artists featured on this episode, check out your show notes for links on how you can support them as well. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. It is very important for helping this project grow and this podcast grow. Thanks again and see you next week.